Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you are well. Today we're going to be exploring adaptability. I'm going to be joined in conversation by Ross Thornley, who is the co-founder of AQ AI, which is an organization which is bringing AQ intelligence adaptability intelligence into the world. They've created an assessment, they train coaches and work with organizations. And we're going to be talking about what is adaptability? How can we begin to break it down and get better at it, basically, in these times of change? One of the things that really struck me about their work, I saw this video and it said, the next 10 years, the world is going to change as much as it has in the last 100. And then it showed a picture of what it was like 100 years ago. That struck me. So Ross will talk a little bit about some of the key distinctions and pathways they have distinguished towards developing adaptability. We'll talk about building resilience, the power of imagination and other cool things. Last thing I'll say is if you're listening to this and you want to check out what we're up to at coachesrising.com, we train coaches and we have a few different cutting edge, leading edge trainings. So you can head to coachesrising.com and check them out. Plus, you'll be able to sign up there for our community. If you want to join us and stay in the loop about the things we create, you'll find a sign up box on the homepage there. All right, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Ross Thornley. Ross, it's really uh, good to be joined by you today on the podcast. How are you doing right now? I'm doing great. Thank you, John. Yeah, cool. We, we had the, the, the pleasure to be on your podcast recently, so it's really nice to return the favor. And uh, the topic today, I think, is just really timely, especially with everything that's been going on with, you know, uh, chat GPT and AI in the last few weeks in terms of this topic today of adaptability. So uh, we're going to dive into that. And maybe actually, though, to begin with, you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, your company, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Joel. Uh, Yeah, to your uh, first point about, you know, chat GPT and all of these things, we often have these situations where when we look backwards, we can join the dots, you know, from a sense of being just overwhelmed of these things that go, wow, this is significant. And throughout history, there's been a lot of these, but what we're seeing now is they're happening maybe more rapidly and in multiple areas that are converging that affect us in all parts of our lives. So my my background, I started off as, um, I like to call it version 1.0 of Ross, was the brand and marketing guy. Um, I worked in a few companies before setting up my own agency um, in the late 90s and then worked for about nearly 18 years running that agency. I employed about 100 people over that period, did a lot of work for large corporates, driving brand communications, brand strategy, doing a lot of innovation work. And also setting up a few other businesses along the way, Joel. You know, opportunities come in and you adapt and you realize, is this something I want to figure out, learn from, see if I can provide value in the world in, in different ways. And there was, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but a few significant moments that shifted my focus around how do we combine these great things of technology with these complex beings called humans and get the kind of outcomes that we want. And so what I've been focusing on with my co-founder, Mike, for the last five years is, as you said, understanding adaptability. Um, How do we measure it and how do we improve it, ensuring that people aren't left behind? So as there's lots of transition in reskilling, shifts in roles, shifts in tasks, shifts in the way teams operate, whether that's hybrid brought around by pandemic or choice through technology that we use, how do we navigate that complex sort of structure of continual adaption without ending up in dark rooms with sharp objects? And so our organization is there to support coaches and consultants and also uh, predominantly people in the HR, learning and development, innovation area to help their people navigate those changes. Something you said in the video that I watched that you made is that in the next decade, it's going to change as much as it did in the last 100 years. And it's funny because you said you, you show a clip of what it was like 100 years ago uh, and compared to today. And so maybe you could just speak into the context here, you know, this, you've already, we've already sort of named it with chat GPT and the change that's coming more quickly, but could you speak into what we're facing? Yeah, I think 
we all look at where do we get our data from? Where are we getting our information? Is it the same, just three or four sources and we just rinse and repeat each day? Or do we try and get out of those echo chambers to see alternative views or alternative thoughts? And that quote is referenced from actually a chap called Ray Kurzweil, who I got introduced to through Peter Diamandis. And I went out to Singularity University in 2017 and for those who don't know, it's kind of, it was uh, founded on the NASA Research Park um, by Peter and uh, Ray Kurzweil and a few others uh, to look at these exponential technologies, look at robotics, quantum computing, material sciences, advances in AI, and how do we harness them? How do we understand them? And what's happening in this accelerated curve, you know, the human brain isn't wired to deal with exponentials. This is the Moore's law for a simple way of thinking about it, things doubling in a short space of time. And whilst that might have happened in certain industries, in certain pockets and certain areas that may or may not have touched us and may happen over a period of, say, some generations, what we're seeing now is that uh, an exponential shift in sensors, plus in robotics, plus in quantum computing, plus in material sciences, when they converge, it feels like things are going so much faster because those continual little hockey sticks start to nest in each other. So we get uh, sort of these nested S-curves of each one that plateaus, but another one's coming next and another one's coming next and another one's coming next. And so, you know, we then see different business models. We see different things in what, the way we could do things, the way we choose to do things, or the way maybe if we might not choose it, it comes along anyway and disrupts. And so that context for me was one around these technological advances, but then how are we leveraging things like teamwork and globalization that are another multiplier, another accelerant? And so where we have a a thriving system where, you know, in an ideal world, right, Joel, humanity is in an abundant situation. We're adding in all areas. The reality is that often we have collapse at the same time. And it's that paradox that when we're, you know, the system is thriving, maybe some organizations, some people are taking on some of these new opportunities and others are going, ah, oh, I liked the way it was. I put up some fear barriers. I put up some things and it's often seen as destructive in the disruption. So that failure to adapt. So I think that phrase just coming back to, we're going to see more change in the next 10 years than we saw in the previous hundred was set at the beginning of the twenties. So we're three years into this and who'd have thought that the globe would be operating the way it is now, even just three years ago where we've seen the pandemic accelerate a lot of things. It's accelerated regulation, particularly around healthcare, telemedicine. We've looked at it, how it's impacted the way governments operate, how we can pass through you know, vaccines at a faster pace. This is the combination of both technology and humans in an environment that is ever shifting in an accelerated way. And so... What's your sense of what we're going to be needing to, I mean, we're going to talk probably quite a lot about how can we increase our capacity to adapt? You know, what does it mean to be adaptable? I think it's worth just staying more on this like bigger picture for for a while, you know, because yeah, we're talking about tech here and then there's all these other kind of forces at play, isn't there? Like cl climate change and, um, you know the economic systems and and the wars and things like that and and so um yeah what what's your what's your sense of like where we're where we're heading like in the next few years I know that's a very difficult question I, I know you know in a sense like nobody can predict that but perhaps you know we can we can imagine to yeah. some extent. And I think that's a really key word you've just picked up on. And in, in my book, I talk about the imagination economy. Uh, 
So what we wanted, you know, and it's a human need is the want to know, right? We want to know. We emphasized a lot of that in our education was knowledge to know things. What are the questions? And I need an answer. And education was, well, do you retain that answer when it's needed? And I, and I think the shift now from where the pace and what, what are the right questions to ask the answers are abundant and around. We need to imagine and be more uh, capable of adapting in line with life. So it's a it's almost a paradox where society has had a lot of short termism. You know, the way that companies, governments, how we run is very short term thinking. And it's, you know, could be argued one of the reasons why we have such challenges on a mass scale at the moment, whether that's climate or geopolitical issues because we have politicians which are four-year tenures and what they're all you know all orbiting around is the next election or the next piece rather than thinking multi-generation and over long term and at the same time if we're thinking long term how do we actually act and plan small because as soon as we've done something 90 days later there's going to be new things that come up new opportunities or new shifts so where are we going i think I certainly subscribe to the abundant mindset, to seeing the data where many things are improving. If I was sat in certain areas in the Ukraine or certain parts of the world, I might not be able to see this. But on a global scale, so many different things are improving, improvements in healthcare, in child lifespan, in access to education, in all sorts of metrics and indicators, there is an advancement and a shift forward to what I think is a more positive world. There's, of course, some of the unexpected consequences or expected but ignored. So whether that's, you know, plastic islands the size of France in the ocean or through bad decisions that we've made around climate impact, I feel we have an opportunity of our future always to try and create one that is better than we found it. And lots have talked about this unique tipping point. I, I believe a lot of generations have felt exactly the same. <laughs> they only see what they see. Oh, we're at a unique moment. We're at a unique moment, wherever you take that slice. I think the opportunity now is where it used to be only accessible to very few, Joel. It was governments, large organizations, large companies, large NGOs that could shift the way in which society operated or the way in which industries operated. Now that's shifting to individuals. If we look at what is creating a lot of change, industrial change, it's individuals with a unique ambition, with a unique imagination that can change the course. And I think that's what's significantly different is that we have access now at a lower level of society to impact a larger scale of people. There's still half the planet that aren't connected to the internet. It's going to be very soon that they are. What will they need? What will they want? What will they create? And each of these things are nested and compounding on each other. So my both hope and desire for the future is that we imagine one that is abundant, where we have a helping hand for those who might struggle, and that we can equally empower those that envisage a future that is uh, productive, that is thriving in multiple systems, not just in my own little ecosystem of my company and my family, but in terms of society and planet. What, what, what would you say? Because, you know, I'm thinking this myself and, and some people listening also might be saying, um, yeah, like that, that's, that sounds true. And it doesn't seem also like things are going that well at the moment i mean i know it's very hard you know going well and yeah. it's very hard to, to sort of say yeah yeah, yeah it's but, perspective and the paradox that we can equally have things going the wrong way at yeah. the same time but what do you choose to look at and it's not putting our head under the rug in the sand about yeah. what's not going right it's about using that as the fuel to say what do I imagine how I want it to shift? And knowing yeah. that you could probably have an impact on that. Whereas before it was, oh, well, I, you know, the story of the starfish in the storm. Well, I saved that one when the 
you know, shoreside is full of starfish after the big storms come in. What difference can I make? Actually, now many people, many individuals can make a massive difference and a massive uh, impact just through a different sense of their mindset and their thought about what they want to create and contribute. Yeah, now that that I really appreciate, you know, like this sounds like there's some kind of democratization in terms of technology and and then influence that people can have in the world. And and I guess this might get into the question of of how do we adapt? Um but it's also I'm I'm sat with this sense of, you know, what what's the world view that we've kind of inherited? You know, that that maybe, uh, you know, the singularity university may be emerging out of or not. I don't know enough about it, but, you know, it seems it seems like there's certain pressures on us right now in terms of how do we perceive who we are and what the world is. You know, like, for example, you know, it has capitalism and a kind of Cartesian worldview from the Enlightenment era kind of you know, roughly uh, has that influenced us into feeling that we're, we're hyper individuals, you know, we, we live in a, in a separate world, uh, which then can lead to people, you know, kind of uh, acting in that way more, you know, and, and, and then therefore extract, you know, capitalism extracting more and more from the environment. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not against capitalism in its, in its ethos, you know, and in fact, it's brought an incredible amount of wealth into the world, which has lift, you know, as you said, it's like all this progress has come from that. And yet, you know, like, I guess my point is that the, this, 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 this um, impulse to adapt, you know, because I think what you're talking about is so fundamental, you know, I think we'll get into is so fundamental in terms of who are we and what are we are we in the world but it's like it's not just technological is it there's a kind of you know deep kind of emotional human yeah, spiritual belief spiritual values, exactly these things I yeah. think there's there's two th- two or three things i'd like to touch on here one is our model of adaptability how do we see adaptability in uh, our research and ourselves the other is then the cycle of adaptability so i talk about it as the four worlds of adaption and then maybe a little bit at the end of my riff on this one role i'll try and touch back to maybe some of that spiritual aspect of things so uh to the point about our model of adaptability we have an acronym of ace ability character and environment so a lot of work has been done about people's you know um psychology, their personality, their makeup, their identity. And we look at that in terms of assessment profiles of an individual. And we particularly moved away from personality to talk about character uh, in in the middle part of that model. So if ability, if we think about that as how and to what degree do I adapt? as an individual, what are my skills? These are learnable things. These are things like grit or mental flexibility or resilience. You know, we, we can't, you know, trip over online for 20 minutes without seeing somebody writing about resilience or how important it is or mindset or our mental flexibility or things like unlearning uh, a little bit more of a new uh, phrase, but things where we deliberately get new information and decide to let go of something that's no longer relevant. In the character is about, you know, who adapts and why. So in there, things like our emotional range or so neuroticism, our extroversion, things like motivation style, thinking style. Do I need a burning ambition or do I need a burning platform? What is it that will mean why I adapt? Uh, in those consequences? Am I uh, play to win or play to protect? You know, what are those different things? And we need to know that your manager needs to know that so that we can do it through not compliance of change, but through flow and desire. And one of the areas where I think it's been most underserved and underthought about is environment. So when does somebody adapt and to what degree? So When you talked about at the global level, what are the influences in our environment, in society, in our industry, in our company, in our team, in the people around us that will stimulate when I adapt? So things like knowing the company support or psychological safety, so team support, or even the amount of work stress, no stress, unlikely to change. Too much stress might be paralyzed. 
right amount, I'm then going to adapt. And then it comes to the point of, am I looking to adapt so that I fit? I fit in with the people, fit in with the team, fit in with the industry, or am I looking to adapt around me to my view? I want to change the way the team operate. I want to change the way the company operates. I want to change the way the industry operates or the way in which we've dealt with something in the past. Oh, women can't be educated. Women can't have a vote. Do I adapt myself to that and go, oh, okay, I'm going to morph myself into something so I fit into that society? Or do I want to shift how society has been? So adaption is both internal and external. We are both influenced by the environment and we influence it. So in terms of those worlds of adaption where we have thriving, collapse, surviving and growth, each of those sort of phases are happening in this uh, both cycle and multiple parts of our lives are in different phases. So we might be thriving, say, in a uh, health area, and that might then uh, be an issue for our work environment or our team. And so at different points, different areas may be thriving. And at some point, there's a destructive disruption. So that failure to adapt to either environmental impact, a new skill that was required or a character out of sync destructs it and then it collapses. So there's some sort of system failure or death. If that's on our terms, Joel, oh, I want to kill not having the vote for women or I want to kill using fax machines for communication, whatever it is that you want to die uh, and adapt from, then that can be great if it's on your terms. If I'm having to do it because it's not on my terms, I didn't choose it. I didn't decide to suddenly say, oh, I've now got to work completely from home or I've now got to deal with that cancer diagnosis because my body is in a dysfunction. So in the collapse, that's often where we get creative disruption. So through that mindset shift, we go from a collapse to survival. So it's often at the first stages, it's one of coping or maintaining, you know, so it might be short-termism, I need to cope, I need to survive. And different people at different times can be both thriving and in survival in different areas of their lives. Companies can, teams can, but often that survival mind is a short-term one. I've just got to get through. I've just got to, to the next stage. But then when we go from that creative disruption to thinking about a, what's the positive disruption that I want. So another mindset set shift, we go into growth. Often that might be growth as an individual, or it might be growth for my team or organization. We're looking at it from what's my competitive advantage? What, you know, can I compete and beat other people for my bigger market share? And growth is often you know, you talk about capitalism, uh, I want more of that pie. My world is, I see the pie is always growing. <laughs> so we shift to a transformational mindset, which is where there's a complete harmony of thriving for all. And so if we come to the spiritual aspects, I see that all of these parts exist in life. And it's, and it's about expansion of something that's already there. The flow is the expansion, not the pursuit of something that isn't. So adaptability is inside all of us. It's part of our beautiful makeup um, uh, and our human nature, cognitively, spiritually bodied, that we are able to adapt, that we can dream, that we can imagine, that we can tell new stories. And it's about deciding, you know, in all of this overwhelm, who's driving? Who's in control? Is it the environment? Is it me? Am I shifting or am I wanting the shift? And all is true. And what I, I hope that we can instill and inspire people to do is come to terms with that complexity and be able to have a, a poetic dance in those areas that leaves us um excited, leaves us um, able to deal with whatever we face so that we can have this sort of perpetual confidence in uncertainty rather than, ah, I need the answer. I need the plan. I need the certainty. Then I'll be okay. If we can help people be okay, be better than okay, irrelevant of what's going on, that surely is a beautiful gift for humanity. 
Beautiful. There's so much in what you just shared there um, that I think we can obviously start to unpack further. You know, like, yeah, it seems like there's some, perhaps there are some, you know, universal principles we might be able to recognize and practice with that would help us to become more adaptable. And, and as, you, as you're pointing to, it's like, yeah, we, 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 we've adapted. It's like a, you know, collectively as a species, we've got like how many countless billions of hours of practice of adapting, you know, mm-hmm. that's what the evolution itself is. So that's actually inherently uh, hopeful, isn't it? That we have that we have this inherent adaptability. Um, so many questions I could ask. I think one, the first one I want to ask is how um, do you help people or how would you invite listeners to start to, seems like awareness could be one of the key uh, starting places is actually, you know, you've mentioned this cycle of adaptability. How, how can we start to tune into, yeah, what kind of vectors, um, what places in my life are in flux right now, you know, and that a bit of awareness would help me around that. I think you, you've hit a key word there of awareness. Without that, we are stabbing in the dark. We don't know whether we are having a positive or negative influence on something that matters. And it, it comes back to, you know, measure what matters, not all that, you know, can be measured matters and not all that can, can be measured actually matters, you know? So it's this challenge around what are we looking at? And I think it starts off with having a, a better understanding of terms that are often thrown about. You know, we, we might, think we understand what resilience is or grit is, but do we know what the difference is between those two things, how they show up in our life? Um, Different societies might've been brought up to think that quitting is bad or you don't give up. No, son, you've got to keep going at that. And we've read books and we've, you know, seen studies all around, ah, grit is an amazing thing. It's a great predictor of future success. But at what point is grit then a shadow? or negative for us? What can, when is it then holding us back from something because we're so fixed around, oh, I'm gritty that the fax machine is the best way of communicating uh, or whatever it may be, whether it's a, a particular process, a particular product. Ah, oh, I'm going to hold on to doing one-to-ones face-to-face as a coach. I'm gritty about that. That's the only way I can add real value. I can get you know, real connection, real presence. I'm not going to take on that digital stuff. I remember years ago having conversations with photographers, not wanting to embrace digital photography and how it was a, you know, a, a horrible, uh, you know, piece around the artistry of what film photography was about and what being a photographer was. And now look at us where we can buy a 200 megapixel, you know, camera in a mobile phone and how prolific that's uh, created. And of course, we create a lot of noise and a lot of, you know, practice, but there's some gems that come out of that. So um, to, to your point, starting with awareness of we help people have a language, have a lexicon, have an understanding of what is adaptability. If it's seen in all of these reports as the most important skill, if we look at McKinsey, if we look at you know reports that the number one indicator of being employed and employability is adaptability, you know we look at all sorts of things. So right in the life cycle from getting employment through to maintaining and keeping an employment that is one that's giving you value is how do we is adaptability so if we know that we need to start measuring it so we help them by the first scientifically validated assessment in adaptability you know we invested over a million dollars in the research in the science in standing on the shoulders of many other research reports of what is it and how can we um, measure that way of an impact for a result that's going to be advantageous. Because I might be able to measure something scientifically, but if it's not going to link us to some outcome of human behavior or in our context of focus at the moment is in work, if it's not going to link to productivity or innovation or you know, some sort of business value, then we haven't included it. So first part is an awareness. We do an assessment. It's done slightly differently, Joel, as we talked before. You know, it's done via an AI conversation. 
And then everyone gets a report across their areas. And that awareness starts them on their journey. We then, over the last couple of years, we have been training and certifying coaches and consultants and some HR leaders in this science. What's the data science of it? And how do you then, when you look at it and you filter it, uh, the differences across work tenure or geographies or different uh, types of roles that we might try and think, ah, I need employee mobility. I need to reskill this department to this department. I need to uh, change these tasks to these tasks. And what we don't necessarily see is the non-logical and non-linear approaches to problem solving that can come up through the awareness of our assessment. So we might see somebody that's in a role that might not be perceived as a normal stepping stones to the role we're trying to create, but actually their abilities and their character make them prime candidates if their environment shifted to those new opportunities and newer roles that we might go, oh, uh, accountants, mathematics, analytics, data science, we might plot normal skills process, but we can now start to see very, what would appear to be um, untrodden paths for careers, especially now where we're building out portfolio careers is a huge advantage. So in empowering all of these coaches and consultants with access to the platform, they get the awareness, then they can start to work on a personalized approach. So, okay, what are you facing, Joel? What are you trying to drive? I want to drive more innovation in my team. Ah, I want to you know, ensure that we're losing market share. What do we need to do as a company? Ah, my company isn't hitting our diversity and inclusion uh, targets. It's got a crisis of retention. It's got a crisis of mental health. We've got lots of people highly stressed, highly. What do I do about it? Oh, do I just get some counselors in? Do I, you know, what, what is that role between coaching, counseling, mentoring, all of these aspects? Fundamentally, we need to understand how people adapt and then we can support them through each of those phases. So we can get very practical about something. Oh, resilience. Let's work on resilience. Well, what do we mean by that? What are the you know, four R's of resilience? What are the maturities of resilience? How do we uh, deal with that? And what's your starting point, Joel? Uh, in all your different batteries of resilience, how depleted are you in certain areas? Because one level of resilience is I can cope. I can cope with that. Another level of resilience is I'm able to transform completely into something new. Um, from that new information, or I need some support and help and time uh, to get through. So I'm going to take a pause there, uh, John. So it's uh, what I'm hearing is that it's actually quite complex in a sense, like um, that you want to be precise, yeah? So that through assessment, then you can, uh, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm wanting to clarify is, when you assess, do you uh, assess the person or do you assess the situation as well, the context they're in? Yeah, like, that's a great, uh, great point. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a couple of things of of precise versus personalized versus aware. You know, we can spend an awful lot of time trying to get absolutely precise, but miss some important factors. You know, this is our best knowledge to date. We might find that we can map the genome, that we can link our sleep with our ability to adapt, that we can link all sorts of other information to help us through that process. So I think it's about understanding the individual on a personalized basis that we can put interventions that aren't just then, oh, go and fill your boots with this podcast, this LinkedIn learning uh, access, this LMS, off you go, sort yourself out. Uh, but at higher levels, you might get access to one-to-one -one coaching or, or these kind of things is how do we empower individuals to do something about it? How do we support coaches and consultants to do the work on a more personalized basis with information that they perhaps haven't seen before, which comes to your point of the environment and situation. So you can get some, some quantitative data then around what is the environment in which they're operating? Is it functioning? Is it not functioning? What kind of um, you know, support is there for recognition of failure? Do we celebrate that in the organization or not? Um, you know, we talk about some of these things conceptually, but are we measuring and rewarding that activity 
of psychological safety? Are we understanding what's the emotional health of our environment? How often do we practice gratitude, Joel, in our team? Is that weekly or do we just, oh, no, we expect that? Or is it part of the process of the organization's environment that celebrates and pulls those things in? And so we, uh, your specific question, we assess the individual we aggregate that up to team. It can be anonymized or visible depending on the individual. The individual gets the opportunity to do that. And then equally, we aggregate that up for organization. And then we do a few predictive indexes. So we have change readiness index. We have a reskill index so that you can start to look at if that is relevant for the individual or the team or the company. You can uh, see what information is coming up from there. And um, are there, you know, if we kind of, you've already mentioned ability, character and environment. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, if, if what are the ingredients to being adaptable? And, I, you know, I guess like one way is awareness, yeah, through yep. getting more specific. Uh, you can assess yourself and develop that awareness. But I'm just wondering if there are like, you know, if you were to, say to people, well, these are the kinds of things you want to be practicing or, yeah. or, or uh, playing with, inquiring into to, be, to become more adaptable. Could you, could, could you say that there are those kinds of universal yeah, I think things? There's a, few, there's a few pieces. You know, I've written quite a few books about this, Joel, in, in terms of whilst there might be a few universal pieces, it's a bit like breath. Breath is universal, right? But we can use it for all sorts of different things and in different ways. The breath required for somebody who is performing a different context. So what is the breath work that I need to do if I'm going to be performing a 100-meter sprint versus the breath training and work that I need to do if I'm running a marathon or if I'm wanting to invoke coherence in my body to reach a level of meditative you know, delta wave state in my brain? The generic is breath. The application is relevant to the context and goals. So whilst we have these 15 dimensions and there are some generic pieces, you know, about shifting from fear to fact, how do we use curiosity? How do we, you know, do things like the four R's of, of shifting a, a setback into transformation? And so there's a few elements we can do that will help us build those skills, which are learnable, the five abilities, and also then harness our character in line for what we're wanting to achieve. But it comes down to the context and situation. So what is it that we're looking to do? Rewind to my point of, am I looking to adapt myself to fit into that new system, fit into that new role, that new opportunity? Or am I looking to adapt that system that's broken or the, you know, uh, ah, this is the way we always did something has killed so many organizations. Some rightly so. Great. <laughs> Allows rebirth. Others, it would have been nice if it was on the terms that it didn't, and they were able to continually innovate and be relevant for the environment that we are creating and imagining. So maybe I can touch on a cu couple of those points. I've uh, created the adaptability pyramid of needs. So some of you might be familiar with the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But for, for me, I've got these nine phases of adaptability that we, we go through. So if that first one is harnessing and knowing your ability character environment, so that awareness, that's kind of level one, understand where you are. The second part is then dealing with silencing your amygdala. So what often happens when a change comes up and hits us in the face is we go into fear mode. We will then either armor ourselves or disassociate ourselves and we'll go into a physical state where our body is, is contracted, our brain's contracted, and our ability to make good decisions is impaired. So we need to, and breath work is a great one for this, there's a few ways in which we can silence our amygdala so that we can go into neutral mode to then look at opportunities of what, what's coming next. The third part I talk about, Joel, is decoupling self-identity. So what I mean by that is the freedom to imagine and let go. So the second thing we ask somebody after we say, so what's your name? You say, so what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And we couple our identity to what we do, to our role. In a moving future, 
of, you know, a computer was a job role. Even in the 70s, you could go into the job ads and look for a job role title that was called computer. We now see that as a physical thing, um, not a role. At what point will some of the things we see as roles not be a role, but it will be a physical or more likely a software? So we'll go from accountant or we'll go from you know, whatever it may be that used to be a role into then is what a software piece is. So we need to decouple our self-identity from our roles. Next part is then start to remodel. So from this reaction to respond. So how can we create those systems for being at a state of peace under pressure? And I think that's just a really important part. And there's lots of things we can do for, for that in terms of using curiosity uh, in fact, I'll just touch on the four R's. Uh, this is a resilience exercise. Recognize, reflect, reimagine, and respond. So the first R is recognizing, acknowledging you're not that setback. So how often has someone said, oh, I'm a failure or associated the result with themselves? So if we can become the active observer of that, Right. So I'm it's not I am a failure, rather what I approached failed so that we can observe it. We can then get into that state of reflection. So on the event, what led to that setback, you know, and taking ownership of that mental health so that we can reset our mindset through often gratitude is a great one there, Joel, in terms of that reflection so that we can be grateful for what's happened and then be able to reflect. This links a lot to uh, Buddhism as, as well. And the next part, the third one, reimagine. So this is about having intentional ideas about looking forwards. What are we imagining we want the next state to be? What are those new ideas that align to the values, beliefs, the future that I'm wanting to create, the goals I'm wanting to create, the strategies for the future that I want? I can't do that if I haven't gone through my recognition and my reflection. If I'm in a state of fear and I'm, I'm not looking at it, I'm not capable of reimagining. And then we can shift to responding. So we go from that reaction to this response through those four stages where we can take that deliberate action towards those new opportunities that we want. So we can consider what do we want to stop doing? So I can unlearn something. It used to be super successful me doing this before. You know, Serena Williams used to be super successful winning every shot from the back of the court. When that no longer works, can I unlearn that and change my strategy? Can I proactively do that so that it's serving my future vision and my future goals that I want to do in the way that I respond to it? So um, do you want me to go through a couple of the other pyramid pieces just to finish that off? So if we've uh, yeah. remodeled from that reaction to response. The next one is about releasing ourselves from self-judgment. So if we're consciously unlocking that inner flow, so it's linking to that first stage of resilient setbacks of recognizing I am not the setback. If I can release myself from that judgment, it will unlock another level of inner flow of the, all the energy is just flowing through us. We're just custodians of the world and the decisions that we make that are going through. The next part is forward framing. So how can we frame something that's all events are in service of us? So it didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Can I future frame? And a lot of NLP, a lot of practices are the importance of framing and how we frame the narrative and story to ourselves. Uh, that links another little piece to where are we getting our information from? The same news, same information that's actually affecting our mindset that might actually be limiting our future framing, limiting our worldview. Can we go and expose ourselves to more than one news source, more than one social media channel, more than one viewpoint? The next part that's so, so important for coming back to our exponential world is rapid feedback loops. So this lifelong learning that we try something, we adapt, we get an outcome, that becomes a new input. So the it, this real-time effect of that feedback loop allows us to make adaptions and continual course corrections as we go through. So it's shifting from knowing to 
experimentation. So if we have these rapid feedback loops, we can be more experimental. We can learn very quickly in what's going on and make those adaptions, make those course corrections. And the final two um, the, uh, is peace in paradox. So how do we shift from that knowledge economy that I have to know the answer to being peaceful, not knowing, to be in imagination, to be both giving and set boundaries, you know, to be vulnerable and secure, to be, you know, um, to persevere and let go. All of these are paradoxes. And how can we be peaceful in that paradox allows us to what I talk about as the top level is this transcendent transformation. So I'm fearless in the deliberate adaptation. And even when I'm facing death, I can be in a moment of both peace and joy. Um, and so I've uh, rifted on a fair bit there, Joel, of some things that um, for me are really important to help us on this adaptability journey. And what we're doing is building this community to uh, understand, well, how do you do that? What are the steps you need to take from assessments to training, to coaching, to leveraging other great work that exists out there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, what stands out for me there is I think a lot of people listening, the coaches will resonate with this pyramid, this journey in terms of a cycle someone might go through in, in transformation. You know, in a sense, like you're describing to me there, uh, how does someone adapt and transform in the face of stimuli in their environment, in the face of them stepping into a new role or into a new company uh, or being, you know, the, the the environment being disrupted. So, you know, I really uh, appreciate you describing this. And, you know, I think that, yes, uh, yeah, kind of regulate myself. Can I then actually transform who I see myself to be, decouple myself from my old identity I think there's probably a place for grieving in there as well, you know, that, yeah, um, that, that it's, it's, it can be difficult and challenging. Yeah. To, to say thank you, um, to, to grieve for the death of something and the, to still be able to do that, whether it was your choice or not, <laughs> um, right. you know, to be in that state that, oh, this has happened to me. No, it's for me. Oh, I used to be able to do this. I loved that. Now I can't. I'm not happy. Well, grieve, be, you know, but either then look at the opportunity. Do you want to change that environment that's now, you know, no longer available to you? It might have been a regulatory change. Um, it could have been a technological change, whatever it is. And there's always opportunity for choice in those things. You know, a lot of coaches that we work with love doing the human work, hate doing lots of the other stuff. You know, they'll out on average have eight to 12 clients and they like doing the work when they're in session, but all of the stuff of or business development or marketing or admin or all of the other parts, they don't like, they love learning, love learning new things, but how can they, and they want more impact. You know, they want to do more interesting work for more people at more scale, whatever scale might be for them. It might be deeper work with Joel and those eight to 10 people, or it might be that I want to affect more people. And so we create different things, books, videos, technology to try and as coaches and consultants help others in need. And so one of the opportunities I think we've got right now is to as you're doing, build communities where coaching, I feel, is what management was for previous decades, can be for the future. I think we're shifting from where it was about productivity and efficiency into imagination, and that's uniquely um, coming into play of coaching. And so how can we have a coaching mindset, a coaching mentality, a way that, yes, I might be a coach, I've got my ICF, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. But what about everyone being seen as being a coach in some form of themselves, of others, of people around them? What are the ways in which we think about that? So we want to make sure that we can empower them to do their best work in an interesting and valuable way. 
and maybe overcome some of their challenges around their current link to their financial reward, to their business models? How do they innovate their model around from that? How do they build passive income, recurring income? How do they reach or touch people that they can't uh, historically? All of those transitions, depending on their both maturity and desire and goal is how do we help them adapt? And that for us is a force multiplier because then we can help uh, many others by that impact because we want to help 100 million people this decade. So mm. by 2030, how do we improve the mental health and well-being of 100 million people through both our technology, our community, our courses, our certifications, all of those kind of things? Yeah. Yeah, beautiful mission. Um because I, I wonder, you know, like when we get like, it feels like we are all in this game in some way, you know, like, um, well, maybe not. Maybe actually a bunch of people don't don't care. And I don't I don't say this in a critical way. I'm not mm. it's not like a derogatory thing. They just don't care about having awareness around uh their you know how they are in their lives how they need to adapt or might be being invited to adapt you know uh maybe a bunch of those people are even like uh feeling unconsciously and you know like in the in the pandemic more and more people drank alcohol you know as yeah. a way to cope and again i don't say that in a critical sense you know it's, it's like the reality yeah exactly exactly so uh but then there are some people who who feel called into you know uh working in the way you're describing you know like to to learn to regulate themselves in order that they can then access a different kind of imagination and play a different role in these times and um yeah you know i wonder how many people might get to this place of the transcendent you know like cuz i i think we need more people like in that place uh, I feel excited by that. Actually, in a way, that might be one of the invitations in these times, you know, is that, you know, I mentioned before, like this hyper-individualized sense of self we've inherited. And, you know, there are there are different uh, wisdom traditions that point to uh, a different way we can experience who we are fundamentally. But I think neuroscience is pointing in that direction too now. And maybe, you know, indigenous traditions, it's feel, maybe that's one of the adaptions we're being invited into, you know, yeah. like uh, a tr maybe a transcending this more separate, isolated sense of self, which might then lead to a whole different way of, of creating and responding to, to the pace of change. I think it's, I, I believe it's all within and it's about allowing that to be seen rather than this is an external place. Oh, I need to, can you give me the directions? Can I go on Google Maps and show me where this transcendent place is in adaptability so I can drive there? Oh, you go down the A34, then you, you know, turn left, here it is, and you go over there. I feel it's inside and it's about allowing us to see that, observe it more and allow it to just peek through the clouds every now and again. And the more often we can do that, I think we can then create a, uh, a state where irrelevant of what's going on around us, we're not uh, naive and we're not so consumed that we're paralyzed, but we can still function and operate in that kind of environment and, and system. And it comes to my point of, you know, we are both and influenced by the environment and we contribute to it. And the there is a lot in people in society who aren't consciously aware of that or even wanting to be aware of it, but they're still in the system. The moment that, as far as we know, um, so far, depending on your spirituality and philosophy, the moment you stop adapting is the moment you die. Um, and you may go into another area that I don't understand or know about yet. Um, but if you are alive, you are adapting. It's a fundamental aspect of those things. And it might be a negative adaption leading to collapse and death, or it might be a positive adaption leading to survival, growth and thriving. And what I want to encourage people to do is um, have that on their terms <laughs> You know, to say I want to grieve and collapse something I don't want rather than I 
I don't want my health to collapse. I don't want my team members to collapse. I don't want people around me to collapse in totality, but I might want them to collapse something that is no longer serving them, a viewpoint, a system, a way of doing something. And I think, you know, coming full circle to chat GPT, that is going to do multiple things. It's going to be both destructive and creative and positive and negative and transformational in all ways. The difference is the choices we make in its application and use. It's inert till we give it a purpose in some way. So it can be our great muse. It can be our great accelerator. It can also be something that sends us to the drink and isolation and not connection. The thing is just the thing. What we are is the choice of how we uh, see and respond to that, to leverage it in a, in a proactive way. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really well said. And you know, as we move towards the end of our conversation, I mean, just reflecting on that, actually, um, you know, I, I through my conversation with someone else, uh, they said, "Oh, I, I kind of like I, I asked Chat GPT to tell me about myself." And so I did the same thing. And it was really interesting. It's like Joel Monk is the you know co-founder of Coaches Rising, but and then just made up a bunch of stuff. You know, so it was like so half of it it got like eerily right. You know, I was like, that's that's kind of I really see myself there. And then the other half is like I'm a trained therapist, I've been on this summit, and that's it was just making stuff up. And I got but isn't thinking, that partly human as well, Joel? Don't <laughs> make stuff up. Well, what's yeah. the difference? Well, it's, it's the, 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 I guess, no, that's a great point. You know, that you know, is a great we point. We make things up and we, yeah. we, we think we're infallible and, oh no, if it was a human, then it's going to be right. Well, we have a system of justice because there's people who make stuff up that was right to do that or to do this or make this false claim. And you'll see fraud in, in, um, you know, courtrooms or all these things. Um, I think we have an obsession with because it was programmed in a machine, it shouldn't be like that. But the yeah. reality is it's made by people who make things up. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and maybe there's going to be some like unforeseen uh, positive outcome from that too. I think what I, what I got wondering about though was like, again, I, I, this is the way I've been thinking recently. It's like, okay, what is... And, and, it, and I think it fits with adapt, adaption, actually. It's like, what is this body of knowledge we've inherited, which we call being this human, you know, in the modern world? Uh, what is being successful? What is being a father? What is, you know, being an employee? All these kinds of deep beliefs that, that you know, are um, necessary that have allowed us to function, but... Uh, you know, as you as you said, like some some of them are like maladaptive, perhaps. You know, like they're they're not leading to the best thriving for us. And so, then I was just like, well, you know, like Chat ChatGPT is cut. You know, it's just gonna, it's not going away. This stuff's gonna, but it's all it's inherited all of those beliefs. You know, like um, and is is ChatGPT gonna start disrupting itself and and move into novel? novel ways of thinking i don't think ai is strong in novelty you know i think that's where you're right in that human being human beings have the novelty factor don't they we we're the ones that can you know re uh, we can imagine and so anyway that, that it's like a, it just got me a little bit like oh that, i'm not sure about this too you know and yeah. um i see the positive be okay implications yeah be okay yeah. with that and yeah all things will have multiple routes that it can dance down. You know, if we take a knife, I go, that is an amazing invention because I can now cut my wood. I can cut my, you know, green bean that I eat for dinner or my steak or whatever, but I can also harm. Now, the knife is, is equally valuable in so many different ways. We can take any invention, any technology and dream a future that is both light and dark at the same time. I think if we can encourage more people to imagine the use of this in a positive way. I mean, the Internet has created so much value and so much darkness it's multiplied all of those things in different ways, whether that is in 
uh, you know, sex trafficking, porn, corruption, crime, all of these things massively accelerated alongside supporting people who were isolated, who were not connected, who couldn't contribute in the same way now they can contribute because they might have been had a different ability um, in the way that their body or brain functions. And now it's released to do great work. We have all of these things that have multiple paths. I think through our work, our training, our community, it's trying to consciously look at those paths being ones of choice, knowing that they might have unexpected. But when we get that new data, we can course correct for creating something that is um, how we would envisage it to be better um, to the best of our knowledge right now. You know, we create it, we create things, and sometimes we don't know multiple generations down the line what the unexpected consequence of that is. And we see that in society, in, in healthcare, in medication. We might have a uh, not a Machiavellian, but a really good intent, but it creates negative outcomes. That's, uh, you know, uh, to exist, to, to progress through life. But if we can adapt each time to these things. Hopefully, we're getting to a place that is uh, that is better. Even for some, if that's going back, living in a tent in you know woods and building a society like that, I'm all for a way in which. What are your values? What are your connection? And are you uh, lifting others up or are you pushing others down in order for you to progress? I want all boats to rise in the rising tide. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, then we're coming towards the end of our conversation. I just want to say, is there anything you haven't shared that you would like to with our audience about this topic? And maybe even just add in that little question of like, what what practice do you find yourself doing? You know, um, For any coaches, consultants that are listening or HR, we're working with lots of organizations that are that value this. You know, this is a key component to their organization being relevant to innovating, to looking after their people. And they need people like you to come and support them. And so doing that by joining our community, any of our work, we have, you know, free books online, there's courses, there's all sorts of things to start to get you get you going and see if it resonates. If it resonates and you want to come and hang out, then that would be cool because we can do more together. So check check those things out. Decoding AQ, plug for the podcast. Joel's uh, episode was a great episode in there. The next question you talked about was what are the sorts of things that I do that that help? I think a couple of pieces. One is uh, really challenging my own mental flexibility. So I have these views. You you will have got a flavor of it, Joel, and, and listeners will have abundant. You know, things are better. Um, let's look at the light side. Uh, and that's not to ignore some of the dark side of things. And I could blissfully, naively go through life. Oh, I don't want that in my life. I don't want those negative things. If I'm strong enough, if I have the vitality, mental, physical, to take those things on because I've prepared myself for it, I want to know those things. I want to have them, but I want them in at the temperature and you know uh, box for me. So I will limit my news and where I get news from, I try to be more holistic, try different news stations, different news areas, because generally news we go for the negative you know that's what sells we want to that's a whole nother subject another uh, topic i practice daily gratitude as a team every meeting we have starts with a positive focus so that we are looking for even when something went wrong what was the gratitude in that oh we had a cohort few people were left off on a type form feedback last week and i was like oh that's awful experience for people because they got to look at their thing and they they couldn't do peer review on somebody else because their name wasn't in there well we celebrated that right this happened what did we do about it and rather than oh we don't want to tell anybody uh, just keep that in that department of those things so a daily practice for us is that feedback loop that is irrelevant of what went on we share it and especially so if it was perceived 
as failure, we want that encouragement of experimentation of, of doing things. So uh, that practice of, of gratitude and positive focus is, is really key. And the, the other part is have my own areas of core people who are cheerleaders. So if we're facing this overwhelm, if we're set, facing all of this complexity and dark, we need some cheerleaders around us who can say that is possible. Um, I know that you'll find a way of doing it. How can I help? And making sure that we've got a few of those people around us is so valuable and so important. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, actually inspires me to to bring that gratitude practice into some of our team meetings as well. Um, yeah, brilliant. There's been so many um, really powerful distinctions you've offered in our conversation today, Ross. So really want to thank you for being a guest and, and just tell us the website where we can find your work again. So people yeah. can. Yeah. So it's AQAI. So AQ is our adaptability intelligence, AQAI.io. Uh, so that's the main website. You'll be able to find everything uh, from there, from the podcast, to the books, the books called Decoding AQ. It's on Amazon um, and things. So yeah, AQAQAI.io is the web address where you'll find everything on there. Um, our ultimate guide, uh, Coach's Ultimate Guide to Adaptability is on there that you can free downloads, things like that. Um, and my main book, uh, you'll, you'll be able to find as well. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.